Bounce and blow out. Eighth inning, 10-3. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out the real pitch. He swings, and it's a high fly ball. Deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge backflip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. What is up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Flippin' Bats presented by Mattress Firm. We got a great episode for you today, and I'm really excited to get to our special guest in a little while, Spencer Turnbull, former teammate of mine, friend of mine, current big leaguer, threw a no-hitter this year. He's teammates with Miguel Cabrera. We're going to get to all of that with him, so I can't wait to talk to him in a little while. But off the top, we're going to round the bases. We're going to get to this week in Shohei Otani news, my favorite segment. And then to finish up, we're going to get to a fun little segment this week where I talk about the five greatest seasons individually in the history of the game. So I'm excited to get to that. But right off the top, rounding the bases here off the top. And first off, the Little League Classic in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Now, Major League Baseball has been doing this for a few years. Every year, right around the time when the Little League World Series is starting, obviously all the Little League teams come into Williamsport. But now, Major League Baseball has decided to do a game there in Williamsport. There's a minor league stadium right there in Williamsport. And two Major League teams every year come in and play in the Little League Classic. And the Little Leaguers get to attend the game. And all the players are there hanging out with guys. It's really an awesome experience. And I'm so glad uh, that Major League Baseball does this because players have fun. The kids have fun. There's so much. uh, The players are allowed to use whatever bats they want. It's ended up being a blast. And I'm really glad uh, that they do this. But it happened Sunday night. And I was was watching. and, And some of the cool takeaways I had from this happened even before the game. Shohei Otani is out in the crowd over at the Little League Stadium signing for kids. He, he's otherworldly to these kids, and I get it because he is to me. My friend Shohei, he's like otherworldly. Um, and, and being able to see these kids around him, talking to them, he was signing for all of these kids that he, that he could. It was incredible to see. And that's why I love that MLB does this because these players get to be up close and personal with the best athletes in the world. Shohei Otani and Mike Trout, who they also showed in the dugout. One of the teams was from New Jersey. Mike Trout signed for every single player on that team, hanging out in the dugout with with the team. He picks up a bat, and he's showing it to these kids, and these kids are, the second he picks up a bat, the kids get so excited just seeing Mike Trout in their dugout with the bat. They got so excited to see, and they they also talked to Mike Trout and, and just asked him about him playing the game, and this was during the game on the broadcast. And one thing he said resonated with me and something that I wish I had done when I was playing uh, and that everybody should. And Mike Trout said, one thing I do is every time I take the field, I say to myself, I'm the best player here. And it turns out he is. He's incredible and obviously he's one of the best to ever do it. He is the best player on the field. But that's the mindset he has. No matter the day, no matter how he feels, I'm the best player here. And it was so cool to hear him say that. It was really cool to hear him say that to the kids. And then the game starts, and, and you get into it. And I remember the eighth inning, Shohei Otani was up as, like, the tying run in the game, and the kids were chanting, Shohei, Shohei. I mean, it was incredible. It's such a cool experience that they do every single year. And the stands was packed with kids from the Little League World Series chanting Shohei Otani's name. Awesome experience for baseball. Jack Mayfield, 
uh, came up with a bat that said foul pole yellow. It was designed like a foul pole. They allowed them to design their bats, custom design however they wanted, and it, it was designed like a foul pole, and it said foul pole yellow on it. Just a really cool experience from start to finish. The Los Angeles Angels and the Cleveland Indians participated in it this year, and I can't wait to see it next year, uh, to see the, the kids from the Little League World Series and the players all mesh together for a couple hours is truly an incredible experience, and I hope you tuned in. And if not, do not miss it next year. Heading on over to second base, we got two teams to talk about here, two of the hottest teams on the planet and two of the biggest juggernauts in all of the league, the New York Yankees and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Got to talk about these guys. We have to talk about them. Since the trade deadline, the New York Yankees are 18-4. and four. They've gone from fourth place in the division to second place in the division. Also, since the deadline, the Dodgers are 16-4. and four. So, you have these two teams that were all expected to be the best team in, in each league, National League and the American League. Both of these guys were expected to, to win. And the Yankees really weren't. They weren't before the trade deadline. But I think what, what ended up happening for them especially is they go out and make some moves at the trade deadline. They go out and acquire Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo, and they become the juggernaut we all thought they would. And, and there's something to be said about that. And, and there's something to be said about the trade deadline. And, and it doesn't matter exactly what you do. It's doing something. And the Yankees went out and added two huge pieces, two of the biggest pieces available at the trade deadline. They go out and add those. Their lineup is much better. Their lineup now adds two big lefties that can get on base. And next thing you know, this locker room says, we can win. We're going to win now. This is, this is the way we were meant to play. We were meant to win these games. They rattle off nine wins in a row, which they're currently sitting at. Uh, they didn't lose last week. And then the Dodgers, more of the same. They go out and acquire Max Scherzer. They go out and acquire Trey Turner. And they go on a roll. I'm really excited for the NLS. You got the Giants out there who just seem to not want to lose ever. And then you got the Dodgers who, who were coming. Trey Turner was a great addition for this team. Max Scherzer goes out there every fifth day and throws great. These two, these two teams went out and made two of the biggest splashes, I think, two of the biggest splashes in all of the trade deadline, and these are the two best teams right now, the teams that are playing the best. And I think that says something about the trade deadline, and I think that's going to be something moving forward that we really look back on and say these two teams really went for it, and look how it resulted. So... This is why I love the trade deadline. You can, you can give a team a shot in the arm, and next thing you know, they're taking off. And these two teams, the Los Angeles Dodgers and the New York Yankees, are absolutely taking off. But let's move on to third, and it is the San Diego Padres. I got to go to Petco Park this past week for the first time in my life. Kind of embarrassing to even admit. It's one of the best stadiums in the league, so I had heard... And I get to go down there and watch the Padres against the Phillies. A great matchup. Uh, and I walk into the stadium and immediately, within 30 seconds of being there, Petco Park is a top two, three stadium uh, that I've ever been to. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, walking around, the concourse is just awesome. Then you look out and you see the Western Metal Supply building out there, which is so unique. And then I walk around to center field where there's just this big grass berm out there that you can watch the game from. And tickets are like $15. 
to get there. And you have access to the whole stadium. And there's a little sand pit out there that I played in for a little while. Uh, no, I actually didn't. But it, it was a blast out there. And, and then the game itself was incredible. Aaron Nola, the game I went to, is the one that Aaron Nola took a perfect game into the seventh inning. And then as soon as he takes it into the seventh inning, I get like 100 texts from people. Aaron Nola, perfect game. Before I could even read them all, it's gone. So thanks to all you guys that texted me and ruined it. Um, and then they had one hit all game. The Padres had one hit all game until the ninth inning when Jake Cronenworth hit a two-run bomb with two outs off of Aaron Nola, tying it up. The place went nuts. It was awesome. I had such a good experience. Such a good experience at Petco Park, and it is immediately one of my favorite stadiums in all the leagues. So if you haven't been there, you got to get there, and you really got to get there for an upcoming series, the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Diego Padres. This rivalry all year has been incredible. I actually went on record earlier this year and saying this is the best rivalry in all of baseball right now, and it's quickly becoming one of the better rivalries in sports just because these two teams are so good. I know the Padres haven't been playing great baseball, but every time they face each other, it ends up being really exciting. I know the Padres have the advantage so far this year. Every time they play, Fernando Tatis rises to the occasion. It's just high energy, high passion. It's going to be an incredible series, one that really matters for both teams. The Dodgers are right on the heels of the Giants in the NL West. The Padres are really struggling to try and hold on to that final wild card spot in the, in the National League, which they aren't even right now. The, the Reds have overtaken them. But I know the, this Padres team is so talented. They're way too good to not make the playoffs. But look, I, actually, I really like the Reds. I love the way the Reds play. Uh, and I actually really like the Padres. I love the way the Padres play, and obviously I love the stadium. So I'm really excited for that series. It really matters for both teams, especially the Padres. So they're hosting the Dodgers. It's going to be an awesome series down at Petco Park, where I just mentioned, if you haven't been to Petco Park, get to Petco Park. It's perfect. It's incredible, and it's a great atmosphere down there in San Diego. But finishing it out, rounding over to home, Miguel Cabrera, this one is special to me, and I don't even know why I have this cheesy smile on my face already, but 500 home runs for Miguel Cabrera. Look, I grew up watching Miguel Cabrera. My brother was drafted by the Tigers when I was very, very young. He was 21, which means I was 12. Um, so I've been around this team since the Tigers since I was 12 years old, and Miggy comes over when I'm 13 or 14 years old. So I've been watching him play baseball since I was a teenager, a, a young teenager. And, and to watch his career and, and to grow up and be in the locker room with the Tigers, you know, some of the coolest experiences that I will remember forever are going into the locker room as a young kid and just going to hit in the cages and, and Miggy coming up to me and, and us hitting in the cage and him talking about hitting. And, and it was so cool. And to watch him throughout the years just become one of the best hitters of all time was so cool. And fast forward to when I'm a little bit older, getting ready to go, I am in college, getting ready to, you know, before I got drafted, I would be in the cage and Miggy and I would have conversations about hitting and have conversations about the mentality of hitting and about, you know, facing a certain pitcher and setting pitchers up and knowing what they're going to throw and just the mentality of the game. And it really, you know, he doesn't know this, but it really changed the course of my career. I went back to college that year 
and became an All-American just with a different mindset. And it ended up getting is a big reason why I got drafted and ended up playing in the Tigers organization and being in the same dugout as Miguel Cabrera. And, and I remember one game I pinch ran for Miguel Cabrera uh, in a spring training game. It was It's something I'll, I'll remember forever. And to see him become the 28th player in the history of Major League Baseball on Sunday to hit 500 home runs, it was emotional for me. And I know it was emotional for a lot of people. And, you know, to, to see him touch home and hug all of his teammates and then get the standing ovation uh, in Toronto and to see Dan Dickerson's call, uh, which was just so emotional for him. He throws his hands up and he's calling it. It, it was so cool for me. So he's the 28th player in the history of the game to hit 500 home runs. If it wasn't for Comerica Park, where he's played the majority of his career, I have no doubts he'd be close to 1,000. I think Comerica Park has taken away half of his homers. It's even more impressive that it's come at Comerica Park. And he's now just about 40 hits away from 3,000. He's coming up on 3,000 hits. I don't know if he'll get it this year. He'd have to really go on a tear. But, you know, he's going to get there. And he's going to be the 32nd, 33rd player of all time to get 3,000 hits. And he'll be the 7th player ever to do both, 500 and 3,000. Miguel Cabrera is one of the greatest hitters in the history of this game. And it was really cool to watch him this past weekend hit his 500th home run. One of the greatest hitters in history, and he means a lot to me. He means a lot to the city of Detroit. And I can't thank him enough for the journey that he put us all on. So really incredible watching that Sunday. Congratulations to the city of Detroit. Congratulations to Miguel Cabrera. What an incredible, incredible accomplishment. And speaking of the Detroit Tigers. It is now time to bring in our guest, former teammate of mine, Spencer Turnbull. Turnbull, what is up, my man? How are you? What's up, man? How you doing? I'm great. First off, thanks for joining me. And I got to ask you before we really get into it. I know you recently underwent Tommy John surgery. So how are you feeling? I'm feeling good, man. Um, like three and a half weeks ago. So I got getting my range of motion back, but yeah, I got to stay in this brace for a while. That stays um, on all the time? So far. Is that like a 24-7 thing? I take it off some, but it's supposed to stay on for like the first six weeks or so. But I take it off for like PT and move it around and stuff. But <laughs> now I wear it a lot. All right. So normally right off the top, we get into some trivia questions. So you got 60 seconds. We got a leaderboard. Fulmer's up there. Oh, John Means is up there. Reese Hoskins is up there close. So let's hit you with some trivia and see how you do. You ready? I, I feel so. like you're let's not gonna. I feel like you're not gonna be great at this. We'll see. <laughs> I feel like I'm probably not gonna be great at this. But all right, let's do it. Ready? Who is your first MLB strikeout? Oh, uh, Jan Gomes. Who is your first MLB batter faced? Uh, Jan Gomes, I think. Who is your first yeah. MLB home run allowed to? Oh, shoot. Who did I get a moment to? Oh, man. I, I can't remember. Who was it? Uh, Jesus Aguilar. Who was your first MLB win against? Uh, first win was against the Red Sox. Number of pitches At thrown in your first MLB start? 
70. 81. Jersey number for your MLB debut? Uh, 56. Who relieved you in your first start? Uh, would have been somebody pretty quick. I'm trying to remember. Uh, All right. Was it Willie? That's it. No, it was Buck. It was Buck. Buck? Okay. Yep. Um, not bad. Better than I thought. You didn't, you know, you just blocked out who hits homers against you, which is, you know, yeah. smart. I try not to remember those. <laughs> Tonight they don't happen. All right. So I was thinking about this on the way into studio this morning. We were teammates in probably the most difficult year of my minor league journey when we were playing on that field, uh, Henley Field, down in, in the Florida State <laughs> in League. In Lakeland. Yes, oh, in oh, Lakeland. Man. So. Tough. Spencer and I were teammates for, I don't know, most of my, I feel like three, three years we got drafted together and, and moved up the system for yeah. a while together. And our Don't first, yeah. And, and once in Lakeland, our stadium wasn't ready. So we had to bus over every day to this stadium. And it was just the, it was, it was a fiasco for lack of a better term. I, I don't know about you, but I felt like that year, like, it didn't feel like we were professional athletes, right? I was rehabbing for, like, half of that summer, and then I came back, and I was – I just remember we were in, like, the like the backup spring training locker room um, over by the dorms, and we – gosh, we rode, like, a short bus over to the field. <laughs> remember that yeah. bus we rode? <laughs> I can't even – Oh, that was that was a nightmare. It was, was I mean, what it was, but it was 25 guys, right? I guess 25 guys all packed into a tiny short bus. And we're all larger individuals and we're just all packed onto a short bus heading like two miles down the road to play at this field. And it, was, <laughs> it, was like, it was like a five minute, five minute bus ride. It was, I don't even know. All right. Could have walked so, there probably faster. Probably. So I always ask people this question and because you know, the minor league level is, is the highest I experience. And I know baseball is very unique in that everybody experiences that. What is a, a story from your minor league career, a story or, or something you just take with you that, that you'll remember forever, something that you always hold on to? Uh, it can also be funny. Is it, is it one that, like... Yeah, okay. Uh, right after I got called up to AAA, I, uh, I almost got arrested. Okay. So that was that's probably the story I keep with me. Um, <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got called up from AA to AAA towards the end of 2018. It was in like okay. late, late August. Um, I had made two starts at home. Uh, first one was like went really well, and the second one was kind of to get us into the playoffs. And then the third one was in the playoffs against Durham. And so they flew me out the night before. Uh, so I didn't have to ride the bus all night and I get to Durham don't have anything to do wanted to watch the game because it was a playoff game oh my god I know this story this and, is the uh, best story ever yeah so I asked the hotel guy like hey where can I get a bite to eat and watch watch the uh the Durham Bulls play because they were, we were playing the Durham Bulls we were with Toledo um and he told me you can go to like the left field lounge out of the stadium I was like sweet so I went to the Durham Bulls stadium and there's like a bar or lounge restaurant out there so I eat dinner watch the game we lose after the game I'm just like put my headphones in I just walk out 
uh, on the patio of the restaurant and you can literally walk from the restaurant like out onto like the concourse around the outfield or whatever so I'm just like walking around the outfield and I don't know I had some music in my ears you know just thinking praying real excited about the game the next day first triple a playoff start I ever had and uh I don't know I just had this really strong urge to jump the fence and go stand on the mound and you know do some do some visualization do some dry throws you know pretend like I was out there and uh I was like out in center field at the time I was like ah it's probably not a good idea might jump and twist my ankles stupid so I'm walking back to the restaurant and then I noticed you can kind of walk down uh like the foul line and there's just like a little fence it's like knee high I'm like oh I can just step over that so at that point I was like the temptation was too strong I just stepped over (laughs) and walked out onto the field went out onto the mound and you know did did some some prayer circles did some victory uh visualizations and uh you know thought I was good and uh walked off went out went out in the street and was ready to go exploring it was like only like 10 30 11 o'clock at this point and I was still not ready to go to sleep yet and just walking around Durham and these two security guards walk up to me out of nowhere and like hey can we talk to you for a second I'm like yeah sure what's up uh yeah we want to talk to you about the incident that just happened in the stadium I was like what are you talking about like, sir we have you on camera breaking <laughs> in the stadium out on the mound uh the police are on the way I'm like oh dear god you gotta be kidding me because I thought I thought I was fine and then you know the police show up and questioned me like what are you doing like why are you breaking this i was like bro I'm chill i was bitching tomorrow night i just wanted to walk out there and you know just feel the slope of the mound you know whatever and they didn't believe me and i was like look you can literally google me I'm, i promise you i'm pitching tomorrow night and so they one of the officers goes back to the car picks up his phone like you know, seem like looking for stuff takes a little bit and walks back he's got his phone like this and he's just like looking at it and like looking at my face he's like looking at it looking at my face he like does like this to the other police officer, like holds it in his face. He does the same thing. And they're like, damn sure is a guy pitching tomorrow night. <laughs> and they just they're like, all right, I guess we'll let you go. I was like, I was like, okay, do I need to like call my coaches? Like, is everybody like am I in trouble? I'm like, no, nah, we're not gonna tell anybody. You don't. I'm like, well, I ain't telling nobody. So I thought I was, I thought I was good, thought I got away with it. Go back to the hotel, go to sleep. Next day, nothing happens. Pitching the game the next night, and the other team has like they're just really like, I don't know, aggressive towards me from the dugout. I'm like, what's going on? And I hit a guy in the foot with a curveball in the first inning. And they like the whole team like almost jumped out of the dugout, like about to fight. And I was like, what the heck? Like that was a curveball. But obviously not intentional. <laughs> they were like really pissed at me for some reason. I was like so confused. And then after like I pitched pretty well. I think I gave up a couple. We ended up losing. I think I gave up three. So it wasn't terrible, but I was definitely not as dominant as like my first two starts. And um then my catcher, Kate Svick, uh, comes up to me after the game. He's like, what were you thinking last night? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, wait, what? You know? He's like, dude, our whole team knows. Their whole team knows. Their media knows. Because apparently, like, the security guard ladies had, had to call the GM the night before and let, let them know something happened. And so he called the co- their coaches. Their coaches called our coaches. So everybody knew. So they're riding home on the bus ride. All of them knew, and there's like a picture of me like standing on the mound with like my hands raised, like, looking like I'm doing like a Rocky celebration, and just completely embarrassing. Um, but you know that's me. So, so their whole team knew, because they were pissed, and so they uh, had like pictures uh, printed out of me, like like with my hands raised, standing on the mound, like like who's this guy thinking he's coming to our mound, thinking that he's gonna win tomorrow, and so they had you know posted all over their locker room, and the announcer guys apparently. Like, when I walked out onto the mound the first time, the radio announcers knew too. So they, they played the 
theme song from Bad Boys when I walked out. And they're like, Bad Boys, Bad Boys, <laughs> what you gonna do when they come for you? you know, that song. So they knew it. And then uh, the little mascot who like Boulder mascot who rides around in a go kart yeah. or whatever um, for the game, he stopped at home plate, got out and like raised his arms at me right as I was doing my warm up pitches. He did the Rocky. He did the I, Rocky celebration yeah. backy. I, did, I didn't see that. And then also the radio announcers also said like, now stepping onto the mound for the first time legally is Spencer Turnbull. <laughs> I, was like, oh. I had no idea any of this happened. Like my whole team was so mad at me. They thought I was. They thought I was drunk because like obviously I was at that bar eating and stuff, and I really was. I didn't have a sip because like, I rarely would even have like a sip the night before I pitch. So right. I drink sometimes other times, but not the night before I'm about to pitch a game. So I was I was stone cold sober, and so they were really like, "What the heck are you thinking?" They're so mad at me, thinking I was just being an idiot breaking the stand. I was like, Ooh, I was just I was nervous trying to get ready for the game the next day, and they're like all right, like you're an idiot. We think you're crazy, but I kind of respect it at the same time. We also all knew that. Like, it's so on brand for you. Like, of course, of course you were out on the mound doing the Rocky celebration with nobody looking around, pumping your fists, running. I guarantee you, you were doing some dry, dry motion, throwing some pitches out there on the mound. It's it's just on brand and it's great. And it all worked out just fine. Uh, (laughs) The other thing is like, we lost that game. We lost the series. So, I get caught up with the big leagues like two days later. So it was, you know, it worked out. Yeah. You had the last laugh. Um, <laughs> so before we, before we get to you becoming a major leaguer, I've always wondered this. And, and I know being with you for a while in the minors, I saw you dominate. I saw you being as, you know, as good as you've ever been. And I've saw struggles where, it's seeming, you know, you lost your velocity, you, you had no movement on pitches, and I know how, you know, mental the game is personally. We've had a million conversations about it in the outfield during BP. You know, the game mentally could eat me alive. Um, and I know it's such a mental game. What, like, what would you go through when you would struggle to, to kind of bring it back? Like, how, how did you bring it back? Because I've seen you down around 90, and I've seen you up in the – around 98 and all within a, a short period of time like what is it how did you bring it back uh, I think that's a good question I think uh, a lot goes into that I think some days it could have been mental some days you know could have been physical maybe my knee was bothering me or like my mechanics got out of sync or I had no idea what's going on so some days it was like a physical thing some days it was um didn't have my head right loss of confidence whatever um like I said, sometimes you just, some days you just don't feel good. And then some days everything feels great and you have no idea why. And like some days you have to like think about, all right. And that was the other thing too. Like my mechanics weren't as ironed out at that point. So I think some days like I just kind of lucked into being really aware of my body and everything was, you know, yeah. synced up really well. And then other days I didn't feel as good. And so I'd start falling into bad habits and might start like, you know, flying open really bad or whatever it was. I uh, didn't stay loaded. And like I said, little just a little tweak here and there can make dramatic impacts on stuff or velocity or your power and I'm, you, you remember as a hitter if your swing gets completely disconnected like some days you'll be right on a ball and it doesn't go anywhere and then other right. days you feel like you're not even swinging hard and it's 40 feet over the fence on the yeah. kind of like the same swing as part of that's a lot of that's body stuff but again so much of it is mental um and i don't think i understood very much about the mental side yeah. I was like, I was always just like, no, it's just a physical thing. Like, I just got to get my mechanics back and stuff. That's it. Because that's what it would feel like. But I think a lot of times now I realize that you can kind of lead your body uh, mentally. And 
So if you can kind of get your mind right. So even on the days when your body feels like crap, you can still a pitch that way. Um, you can still find ways to get people out. Yeah. Um, but then other, other thing is just like, some days it's just not there. And then you just got to kind of fake it to make it. And then it might click in like an inning or two later. And all of a sudden your velo's back and the slider's biting really hard. And uh, you, you can command the ball where you want to. And like I said, and all of a sudden now your sinker's moving, you know, a foot when a second okay. ago it was just sitting there doing some, you know, doing an air cutter and going the wrong way. You just <laughs> never know. Uh, but I think a lot of it, um is learning about the mental side of the game a lot of the consistency stuff comes yeah. from just preparation getting your body in the right place and then learning how to take care of it it's like if anything was ever bugging me, i didn't really know what to do it's just like all right well it's bugging me today there's nothing i can do about it now there's a, I have a lot more things um you know physical therapy wise or workout wise or you know nutrition wise or any of that kind of stuff that definitely can help me uh stay consistent yeah i had giolito on recently I had Giolito and we, he talked about that because he kind of went through a total shift in his career and he, you know, he went through an injury and came back and, and then wasn't throwing the same and literally, and he went in depth on this. The biggest thing for him was like changing his mentality. And he went through like a total overhaul one off the off season where he like changed his arm motion completely. He also like mm -hmm. really changed his mindset and it credits his mentality to a lot of his success and the reason he became an all-star. So, I mean, what you said is, is spot on from, from talking to him too. Um, so let's get into this year, become a big leaguer, throw a no hitter this year, which I'll get to in a second, but the Detroit Tigers, I, things feel exciting in Detroit to me. The future is very, very close. You're going to be a big part of that. AJ Hinch is now the manager of this team. And I feel like you guys weren't really expected to compete this year as well as you have. Obviously, it's not going to result in making the playoffs, but a lot of wins are getting put together. And I feel like a big credit to that is what AJ Hinch is doing there in his first year. Talk about having him as a manager and what he's meant to, to this team and, and what he's doing different. I, I give him a lot of credit, honestly. I think he deserves as much credit as you can give a manager for the team doing well. Um, I think he just brings like a a different mindset and a different expectation of how to get things done. It kind of just raises the standard of what he expects and how, um, I don't know, it's hard to put into words exactly, but just like that winning mindset. Like, this is how things are done. This is what it takes to win. If you can't do it, I'll get somebody else who can kind of thing. And it just... It just raises everybody's um, standard of performance. I think they either kind of get the job done or they don't. And I think most guys rise to the challenge. Like some guys may struggle or not, but I think a lot of guys it just makes you better because you're you're forced to be better. And there's more competition. And I don't know. I just I think there's a lot to it with that. And I think just the understanding of each individual player. Um, he doesn't have like a cookie cutter approach for anybody. Uh, I think. All the coaches he has around him have done a really good job. You know, I just think the whole top to bottom, he's just made made some changes where um, there's just more efficiency. There's not a lot of like just clutter or eyewash. Everything we do has a purpose. Um, everything we do is to get better, and it's actually what we do things that actually work and actually get better. And anything else, we just, we don't worry or waste time about. Um, but the stuff that does work and does matter, we do that, and he makes us do it very well. Um, and like I said, he's worked on getting some better players in, but at the same time, 
a lot of our players always had potential, just we weren't all playing to that potential. And I think yeah. a lot of that kind of just breeds confidence in everybody. And when the talent you have is there, but not playing to its abilities, if you find somebody who can come in and help get everyone closer to their abilities and have the confidence and the mindsets and the mental game and all that feeds off each other. Like hitting is contagious, winning yeah. is contagious. Um, and baseball is such a mental game that, so if you get a few guys buying in, everyone else starts to buy in. And like I said, and then if, if there's a weak link somewhere or somewhere in the chain, something's not good enough, like, yeah, things might change. and might get uh, new personnel in or whatever. But for the most part, I think we had really good players before and we still have really good players. And yeah, I think injuries play a lot, have a lot to do with things. You can't control that. But um, yeah, I think I mean, in spring training, we were, the whole team was rolling really well. And, and we kind of went through a dry spell and then, I don't know, they just started putting together wins and, I said, I haven't been there for half of that, so it's kind of been a bummer to miss <laughs> out on it. But I said, there's nothing I can do with my robot on right now. But um, like I said, it has been, has been really cool to watch, and I'm excited to get back. Yeah, I, I feel like there's never obviously a good time to go through Tommy John, but I feel like the future in Detroit is getting closer and closer. And, and from the outside, I can feel it, and and you're going to be a big part of that future, and you're going to be back and and a part of that rotation that's going to be very exciting. And then it feels like the young guys on offense are coming. Like, do you get that feeling being a part of the team? Like, can can you feel it? Like, the future is near, and in a year, two years, we're going to be winning a lot of ball games and being a really good team. I mean, I definitely feel it. I think the fans can feel it too. I've I've been able to watch a few of the games since I've been down. And like I said, the fans have been coming back. The excitement's back. Yeah. Uh, Miggy hitting his 500 homer last night was really cool. Um, or yesterday, whenever it was. Um, I think just there's just much more uh, excitement. There's much more anticipation, expectations. And like I said, and they're winning, you know, so it's not, I don't just, I think winning, winning just helps out with a yeah. lot of things. So, yeah. Um, I feel like the future is definitely coming faster than people expected. And, I'm excited about it. I said, I, I want to be a part of it. I agree. You mentioned, you mentioned Miggy. I mean, what an incredible, obviously, accomplishment. The 28th player in history to hit 500 home runs. Um, and you know this far better than I do, but even just being around him for a, a short period of time and being in the dugout with him is so fun. He just makes the game fun, and he has so much fun doing it talk a little bit about his 500th home run and and just how fun it is being a teammate of his i mean yeah i mean it was 28 other guys were hit 500 so i mean he's we already knew yeah. he was a sure hall of famer before but it's just one one more milestone that just puts in there um being able to be a teammate with somebody who's accomplished so many great things is really cool um like i said he's just his whole career he's been, his talent level has just been head and shoulders above everybody else and um like I said, he's been able to put together such a cool career. So that's awesome, being able to just be in that, just be around someone like that. But also yeah. his, his personality, he's so fun. Uh, just, he's really just, like, silly, to be honest. Like, he's <laughs> never not making jokes or having fun. Like, every once in a while, he'll have a, a few bad games in a row, and he'll get, you know, he'll be a little upset about it, but it doesn't last for long at all. And even even his, you know, quote-unquote struggles or whatever, he's still having fun. It's almost just like he's – it's almost like he's bigger than the game, to be honest. Like, it's like he's never really that stressed about it. Like, you know, yeah. you watch a lot of guys, um, especially young guys or whatever, when they're struggling or, or 
if they're doing well, they'll get real high and then we get real low. You right. know, and with Miggy, it's, it's, it's never really, you don't really see that. It's always just, he's having fun. He's always cracking jokes on the field in the dugout, you know, chirping at the umpires, but it's, it's Miggy, so no one really cares. So it's just, <laughs> I think, I think the whole, just the whole persona and everything, I think it's really, um, this kind of shows who he is and like in a good way. And like I said, he's just a kid almost 40 you, years older. I always, just I always remember with you in the outfield, it didn't matter who it was. You always felt like you were one of the best hitters on the field. And at this point you hadn't hit in years, <laughs> but I can't tell you how many times you'd come up to me and be like, Ben, right? Like get you, this is what you got to do. You got to get into this slot and like do this and this. So how often have you gone up to Miggy trying to give him hitting tips? And if you haven't, I, I why not? <laughs> I don't know if I've given Miggy any tips. I was <laughs> That's surprising. And then after after my few at bats in the big leagues, embarrassing myself, it's just like okay, I, I probably just need to shut my mouth. But um, <laughs> no, I feel like I feel like you know, growing up, I was a really good hitter. I was a better hitter than I was a pitcher in high school, and then went to Alabama and was trying to be a two way guy and was throwing ninety six freshman year, and they said you're never touching the bat again. And I said okay. I never really got that chance to fail, so I think that chip on my shoulder never really, uh, never really came off. Never but, really went away. I can't tell you how many locker room conversations I've been a part of where somebody says, "Freaking Turnbull coming up to me while I'm 0 for 20, trying to tell me how to hit, and he doesn't even know what he's doing." <laughs> <laughs> I've had a million of those conversations. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm, I, well, ask them now if they think any of my advice is actually wrong, and we'll see. Where that conversation <laughs> Coming from me, maybe not the best best person to be giving it to him, but I don't think I ever gave bad advice on the, on how to swing. Yeah, I actually looking to, back, yeah. I, I I agree with you. Um, so this year, you become one of you know one. It's part of history, not just because you threw a no hitter, but now it's going to be uh, and it's really really slowed down. It looked like the rack record was going to be shattered, but this is now the the season with the most no hitters in history. I believe we're at eight, and you're now forever a part of that. You threw a no hitter against the Mariners. It was honestly incredible. And full disclosure, when I watched the last like five, six innings of it and got emotional when it finished just because, I mean, it was really cool, man. And, and I consider you a good friend of mine. So it was awesome to see. Just walk me through that day, man. Like how incredible uh, from start to finish was that day for you? I mean, that day was just one of the best days of my life, honestly. Like I said, even before the game, like I, said, I was uh, – my girlfriend was there and we just kind of walked around Seattle and saw some cool sites. I've always wanted to go to Seattle. So just the morning of kind of just visiting a cool, couple of cool spots, coffee shops, whatever, and just take it in. That was really fun. Had a good lunch. It was just super chill. It was like not worried about the game at all, to be honest. Get to the stadium, like just another night, you know, and <laughs> really awesome stadium. Like I've been, I mean, I've been wanting to pitch there for a couple of years. I missed it uh, in 2019 when we went because I was hurt. So I was bummed about that. And, uh, yeah, so I was just really excited to pitch there. And I don't know, getting closer to game time, I started to get a little nervous. I was like, my body doesn't feel that great. You know, I was like trying to get, get through my warmups and um, just wasn't feeling like all that, uh, you know, I don't know, connected to my body or whatever. And um, a little worried about it. And then I went through my warmups in the bullpen and felt terrible. Like my did not have anything, could put anything <laughs> on the ball. Like, this is gonna suck tonight, but whatever. Yeah. And I told Hasi when he was uh catching me both, and I was like, hey man, I got nothing right now. So we're going to just wow. really work on 
getting the ball over the plate, and we'll see where we go from there. Just get ahead, get strike one, because I'm not. I didn't feel like I was going to strike anybody. I did not feel like I had my swing and stuff at all. I was like, all right, my stuff is flat. Feel terrible. Don't know what's wrong. But hopefully, if I just get through a couple of innings, it'll kind of click. And get out there in that first inning, and didn't feel great with my stuff, but my four seamer felt like had a little bit more on it than I thought it would, and just kind of pitched with that. And I was like, okay, because whatever it was, my mechanics were just really off. Um, texted if my friend before the game was like, dude, pray for me because it's gonna be a bad night. No and he did. Like, way. Like, yeah, I was like, yeah, you'll be fine, dude. Um, and he sent me some other stuff that was kind of kind of eerie. Uh, some of the things he said, something about being like a kind of like a I don't even know, kind of like announced that night. I was like, what? And then ended up throwing a no-hitter. So it was, was kind of crazy. But, uh, yeah, I was just really nervous. Did not feel good. And get through that first inning, like a couple uh, – had a little fly ball on the right. was hit pretty hard. And then yeah. got through that. I was like, all right, I, I feel okay. Like, I, I feel, I'll be able to get through six innings. I'll be fine. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't need to strike it right out. Just, just get some weak contact, get to the game, just keep my pitch count down and be all right. So I don't know if that mindset really helped me. Because I don't normally pitch with that mindset or whatever. Never so. your mindset. Keep my pitch count yeah. down. I'll be all right. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, but I was just honestly just super focused on keeping my pitch count down, getting ahead, and not worrying about what happened. And people can tell me to do that for forever. But yeah. usually when, you have, when your stuff feels good, you're not really – you think that, but you're also, like, really aggressive. You're trying to get guys out by getting them to miss. And I don't know, just was not feeling that. And guys were missing anyway. and kind of next couple of innings stuff started to click in a little bit better started to feel a little nastier and but just made sure to stay in that mindset and by about the fifth inning I was like uh, I knew what was going on obviously I'm like all right let's just keep going see what we can do and just <laughs> I just never no, no part of me felt like I was like in control of that so I wasn't like didn't feel like I was the one making a no hitter happen so I wasn't like worried if I effed it up you know I was like not really worried about it so like I said I didn't I didn't feel like it was like me in control of it anyway um, so like, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be, and I'll, I'll let God take care of that. And I was like, all right, let's just go out and keep making pitches. They keep hitting them right at people, not worry about it. And he said, there are a couple of loud contact hit right at people. I was like, all right, maybe it's my night, you know, and just had faith that it was and just rolled through it and was able to get through it. And Jeez. that ninth inning was, that ninth inning was tougher. Were that you okay like, going into that ninth inning? I was okay, but it was a little bit more like, it was more on my shoulders, but I was like, okay, do not let those thoughts get in your head. You just got to keep that completely out there. <laughs> Don't worry about messing it up. Don't worry. Like, you can't think that. Just go out there, the exact same mentality. You're going to go st throw strike one, throw strike two. And if they hit it at somebody, awesome. If they get a hit, awesome. But you're not going to go out there and be scared to give up a hit. And I just did not let that fear into my brain at all. Like, there's a couple times I had some thoughts hit, and I was like, no, we're not thinking that. And I just went out there and just kept pitching. <laughs> that, ninth, that ninth inning felt a little different. So I think I walked the first guy. And I was like, ah, all right, well doesn't matter still still not a hit so and then I almost got a double play I struck the next guy out and I almost got a double play and yeah. then when I realized the double didn't get turned um got beat it out and I was like oh shoot now I still gotta face Hanniger I was like you know what good because like I felt like I needed to face him one more time anyway this was the best hitter at the time um I don't know there's part of it kind of felt like I can't throw no hitter and I have to face their best hitter to finish it yeah. off you know and um but I was like, I am not going to be afraid of him. If he gets me this time, he gets me. Because he'd already hit me hard twice. And I was like, and I think I struck him out once earlier, but he hit a laser candy. The candy made a fantastic play on a third. Yeah. I think he hit a deep ball to center as well. But yeah, just that last that last uh, sequence to him was just one, two, three. It was like, yeah, 
sinker down for a strike, slider away, swing and miss. And then I just threw his, my four seamer as hard as I could, <laughs> a little cut on it. It was it. so it was awesome, like, man. I, I, I texted you, I, I texted you right after. And a funny thing I realized in our text conversation, you had fairly recently come off the COVID IL. And our last text, our last text before I congratulated you was, hey, man, how you feeling? And you said, uh, not really that great. I don't have my strength back. Like, I'm not there yet. I don't feel great. Hopefully soon. And then you go out and throw a no-hitter, which is <laughs> pretty poetic and awesome. Um, Spencer, thank you so much for joining me, man. Uh, best of luck with your recovery. I can't wait to see you back there. The future of Detroit is near, and you're going to be a part of that, and I can't wait to watch you win with that team. And I really, really appreciate you coming on, and we'll bring you back on when you're back and healthy and, and winning playoff games with the Tigers. Thanks for having me, Ben. It's been fun. Of course, man. See ya. All right, and now it is time for my favorite segment this week in Shohei Otani News, presented by our sponsor, Mattress Firm. So talk to an expert and unjunk your sleep today. Are you getting junk sleep? Stop it. Stop it. I stopped it. I was. I stopped it. I'm getting great sleep now because I made the switch to Mattress Firm, and you should too. But let's get into it. It is time for this week in Shohei Otani News. He had his staple game. It was a masterful performance, which is exactly why he's going to win this year's MVP award. No doubt in my mind. We'll get into that. We're going to talk about this incredible season and how it just might be the greatest season of all time. But let's get into it with that game against the Detroit Tigers from this past week. Joey Otani threw eight innings, gave up one run, and he also hit his 40th home run of the season. So this game was special. There were a lot of eyes on this game. It took place in Detroit at Comerica Park, where everyone and the whole world is on Miggy 500 watch. He has yet to hit his 500th home run, and this was another game it could have happened. So the stands were packed. Packed house in Detroit for Miggy 500 watch. Shohei, also sending at 39 home runs, hits his 40th home run in the game. Now, what I thought was really cool about him hitting his 40th home run that game is the place went nuts. It was a good baseball game. Fairly close baseball game. Everyone was there to watch Miggy hit his 500th. Shohei hits his 40th homer, and the place was so loud. I remember hearing from people. I got a bunch of tweets from people saying, I was on my feet. Everyone was on their feet. It was really cool to witness that. It was really cool what we're all witnessing. And it really is. It's really cool what we're all witnessing. And to see what an impact he's having on Major League Baseball, not just in Los Angeles when he's playing home games, when he goes on the road, people cheer for him. We've never really seen anything like this. Everyone's cheering for Shohei Otani. It doesn't matter who your team is. Everybody wants him to do well. Everyone. So he goes out, he throws eight inning of one-run baseball, throws incredible, and then he hits his 40th home run. The place goes nuts. That game is, is the staple, the pentacle game. It embodies exactly why Shohei Otani is this year's MVP. I'm done speculating. I'm done saying, in my opinion, Shohei's MVP. I think he's going to win MVP. I've been saying that since 
the first week of the year. I'm here to tell you now, Shohei Otani is this year's MVP award winner. It doesn't matter if the season ended today. It doesn't matter if he doesn't play good down the stretch. None of that matters. He's won it. The MVP award is Shohei Otani's for everything that he has done this year. And that game he had to, uh, uh, in Comerica Park in Detroit is exactly why. Nobody does that. Nobody throws eight innings of one-run ball and then hits their 40th home run of the season, leading all of Major League Baseball. Nobody does that in the game now. Nobody's done that in the game ever. It's never been done in history. That's why I can so confidently say that Shohei Otani is the MVP of Major League Baseball and certainly of the American League. And that got me to thinking, is this the most incredible season we've seen? He's got the MVP award wrapped up in the middle of August. He has for a little while, in my opinion. But is this the greatest season ever? I think so. I really think so. I think this is the greatest season we've ever witnessed because of what he's doing on the mound, because of what he's doing at the plate. Like I mentioned, he's got 40 homers. He's got 40 home runs leading all of Major League Baseball by a good bit. There's nobody right on his heels. There's nobody one or two homers away. So he's that, got that going for him. 40 homers and, eight, and, and 19 stolen bases now. But look at this stat. 40 home runs and 18 steals in the first 122 games this season. The only player to reach 40 and 15 in fewer games, there's only been one. Ken Griffey Jr. And he did it in 117 games. So Shohei got to 40 and 18 in 122 games. So really not that much longer after. But that's only been done once ever in history. Ken Griffey Jr. But I talk a lot about what he's done by in, in his pitching. Because a lot of people when he had that start in, in New York said, ah, he's done. We knew it. He was going to have a blow up. And his, his, his numbers are going to be terrible. Ever since, ever since that start, he's been great. Ever since June 4th, he's been great. He's been 7-0. 7-0 since June 4th with a 2.83 ERA and a 27.9% strikeout percentage. That's incredible. Not to mention he's hitting 284 at the plate. Um, it's just, it's remarkable. It's remarkable what he's doing. I actually heard him during that Little League World Series game. They asked him about his pitching. And he said, that one start in New York really helped me. I had that blow-up start where I didn't get out of the first inning, and I really needed that. It helped me It helped me into what I've become now. He's cut down on his walks. He's cut down on everything that he was doing incorrectly. And ever since, he's just absolutely dominated. Dominated. So I honestly feel like it's pretty cool that the Little League World Series ties into all this because he was able to say that there. Shohei Otani plays the game like a Little Leaguer. He literally just does it all. Um, and there was a CC Sabathia quote that I really liked. He said, he's doing what every kid wants. The Little League World Series is going on right now, and the best guy on the team is the pitcher. And he hits all the homers and is the best player. Shohei Otani is literally playing Little League in the majors. <laughs> it's so true. He's literally living out everybody's dream. The best player in Little League pitches, comes out of the game, goes and plays in the field, and then he's the one that hits all the homers, and he's the one that steals all the bases. That's what Shohei Otani's doing. It's incredible. And in my opinion, the thought that I had is, this is the greatest season we've ever seen. Sarah Langs tweeted, Shohei Otani has 40 home runs, four more than anyone else 
in Major League Baseball. He has 20, 110 plus mile an hour home runs. That's five more than anyone else. He also has a .075 opponent batting average on his splitter, which is the lowest of any pitcher of any pitch. Like, what, what are we, why, we should be talking about this more. This should be, everyone should be talking about this nonstop. As much as we talk about LeBron on the basketball side, we should talk about Shohei on the baseball side. And I'm certainly doing my part. I promise you that. Look at this shirt. Look at this set. I'm doing my part. All I do is talk about him. This is the greatest season that we have ever witnessed. And Shohei Otani is the MVP of this league, without a doubt in my mind. And that got me to thinking, and that brings us to the Twitter poll question. If you don't follow Flippin' Bats Pod on Twitter, make sure you do it, because we always ask a question. And this week's question was, is Shohei Otani having the best regular season in MLB history. You all know what I voted. I think I tweeted, this is the easiest retweet of all time. Absolutely. So that was our question this week. So make sure you're following Flippin' Bats Pod on Twitter so you can vote and be a part of the show. And this week's question, is this the greatest regular season of all time? And you guys voted and voted correctly, in my opinion. Yes. Yes, it is. 67.8% of the vote. 67.8% said yes, 32.2% said no. Now look, obviously, there have been a lot of other fantastic seasons. Statistically, and one or the other, better offensively or or pitching. There's been statistically better seasons. But you always have to pick, what about this season? When so-and-so did this, oh yeah, that was incredible. Did he also pitch? Was he also 8-1 and on the year with a sub-3 ERA? No. Oh, yeah, so-and-so pitched great and also won the MVP as a pitcher. Oh, great. Did he hit 40 home runs and lead all of baseball? No. The Angels, in my opinion, may not have won a game all year if it wasn't for him. Who knows? Everyone always says you can't. he's not on a playoff team. How how can he really be that valuable? That's the one argument by people. He's not going to be on a playoff team. I don't care. This team would be awful if it wasn't for him. And they're hovering right around the 500 mark with some of their best players of all time, Mike Trout, not playing this year. And that's all because of what Shohei Otani has done this year in one of, and in my opinion, the greatest season that we have seen in Major League Baseball history. And that does it for this week in Shohei Otani News. All right, so that Twitter poll got me to thinking, what are some of the best other individual seasons of all time? So I put a list together of five in no particular order, just the greatest individual seasons of all time, in my opinion. And the first one I want to talk about is Miguel Cabrera's 2012 season. He won the Triple Crown for the first time since 1967 when Carl Yastrzemski won it. Obviously ended up winning the MVP which was back-to-back Tigers winning the MVP. Some guy named Justin Verlander won the MVP the year before that. So Miggy wins the Triple Crown that year, had 44 homers, uh, a bunch of RBIs, on-base percentage, 450. Incredible season. Uh, Honestly, if you look at the stats, the following season, the very next year, 2013, statistically might have even been better for him. Honestly, was better. But the fact that he won the first ever or the first Triple Crown since 1967 
That's quite the accomplishment. And for that reason, Miguel Cabrera is one of the, the five greatest seasons, uh, in my opinion. Uh, but another one. Moving on, Bob Gibson. Bob Gibson's 1968 season. A 1.12 ERA. Guys, are you kidding me? This year actually was the first time in, in forever that that record was being challenged by Jacob deGrom, who unfortunately got hurt and now won't qualify. But who knows if you can even accomplish that. 1.12 ERA all season. Ends up moving on to the World Series. Has a 1.3-something ERA in the World Series. Uh, and three starts, struck out 35 guys in the World Series that year. Ends up winning the Cy Young and the MVP, which hardly ever happens. Again, my brother did it, but also hardly ever happens. Uh, so when you, look at, when you look at a pitcher's season, that's the staple. That's the pennant. Bob Gibson, a 1.12 ERA in 1968. Moving on, another one of the greatest seasons of all time, Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson's rookie year in 1947. Now, this is one of the greatest seasons of all time for many reasons. Obviously, he played great on the field. Ends up winning NL Rookie of the Year, gets the Dodgers to the World Series, steals, uh, steals 29 bases that year. I mean, an incredible year on the field, but far greater than that. Far more important to that is he broke the color barrier that year. And this is the most difficult season that anybody had to endure of all time. You know, it's certainly up there. And for him to do what he did and put his head down and go out and win Rookie of the Year and play great baseball was incredible. But far greater than that, as I mentioned, was him breaking the color barrier and, and you know, pushing forward into the baseball world, if you will, and paving the way for everyone after him, for, for hundreds and hundreds and, and thousands of players of color after him. He started it, and it was all that season. And without Jackie Robinson that season, who knows what baseball would look like. So without a doubt, one of the greatest seasons of all time, in my opinion, is that Jackie Robinson season in 1947 when he broke the Major League Baseball color barrier. Moving on. To Barry Bonds, in my opinion, the greatest hitter of all time. Barry Bonds, his 73 home run season in 2001, breaking the record, the current record, 73 home runs. Think about that. Look, spare me all of the, the steroid talk. Look, I get it. I understand. But this guy... Barry Bonds is the greatest hitter this game has ever seen. 73 home runs, a 328 batting average, a 515 on base percentage, which wasn't even the best in his career. I could have picked three or four of Barry Bonds this season for, for one of the greatest of all time easily. But this is just the year he hit 73 homers, so I wanted to talk about that one. But he's on base over 50% of the time, 515 on base percentage. You know, when you look when you look at some of the Barry Bonds stats, he had, you know, if you go to his baseball reference, it's the most insane baseball reference page ever. Barry Bonds is the only player in history that is a member of the 500 500 club. 500 homers, 
500 stolen bases. Barry Bonds is also the only member of the 400-400 club. 400 homers and 400 stolen bases. He's the only one. Nobody's even close. That's the craziest stat of all time. Are you kidding me? So that 2001 season where Barry Bonds hits 73 homers, an on-base percentage over 500, obviously and clearly one of the best seasons of all time. And then, naturally, I can't leave him off this list. Shohei Otani in 2021, the current season we are witnessing from him, is one of the greatest seasons of all time, if not the greatest season of all time. He's got 40 home runs. 40 home runs we're looking at. The major league leader in home runs right now. He's got an on-base plus slugging, an OPS over 1,000, which is just remarkable. That would be a remarkable OPS in a season. And he's also stolen 19 bases. He's this unique blend that we have never seen before of power, speed, pitching, throwing 100 miles an hour. Like, what, it, what even is this? How, how even is this possible? So when you look at the greatest seasons of all time, if you're not talking about this 2021 season by Shohei Otani, you're not doing it right. And I certainly needed to add him into the five greatest seasons, in my opinion, of all time. But before I finish up today, a little extra inning segment, and I gotta mention them, I gotta talk about them. The resurgence, Joey Votto, the ageless wonder. He's 37 years old. He turns 38 at the beginning of September, September 10th to be exact. I might as well just say it because I looked it up. So it's September 10th. He turns 38 years old. Votto won an MVP. Votto is a National League MVP winner. But for the last few years, he hasn't been the same sort of player. But this year, the resurgence, 28 homers. He's getting on base a bunch. Obviously, he's always going to walk a lot. But what's important to me is, is what he means to this team, what he means to the Cincinnati Reds, who currently hold a wild card spot, by the way. And obviously, they're getting great play from a lot of people. You wouldn't be in this position without them. Nick Castellanos is, is you know, up there for a batting title. But Joey Votto is the heartbeat of this team. Joey Votto is the heartbeat of the Cincinnati Reds. And for him to have the resurgence he is, is absolutely one of the reasons they're here. He's going to hit over 30 home runs this year. He's going to be 38 when he does it. That's incredible. And not to mention all the stuff he does off the field. Now, I'm not saying Joey Votto is going to be the MVP. But what he's done is he's launched himself into the conversation. He's absolutely, without a doubt, in the conversation for the National League MVP. You have guys like Tatis and Harper who are the front runners at this point. Tatis, obviously, the first of those. But Votto has propelled himself into the conversation. And for that to even be the case at 37 going on 38 years old is incredible. And the stuff he does off the field with kids and, and with, you know, with children with, that have had cancer or that have cancer and all the videos that come out of him taking the time to talk to these people and take pictures with them and to, be, to create friendships with these kids. It's incredible. And he brings an energy to the game that everybody should aspire to. It's special. And the fact that he's in the MVP conversation is special. So Joey Votto, the resurgence 
If you're not watching what the Reds are doing on the NL Central, make sure you do it. But that does it for another episode of Flippin' Batch. Thank you guys for listening. It means the world to me. I love you guys. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you listen to your podcast. Subscribe. Hit that five star if you're listening right now on Apple Podcasts. It helps us out a bunch here. Leave a nice little comment. But make sure you're also following on social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, where the episode comes out via video every single week. So, And also the Twitter poll happens, obviously, on Twitter every week, so you can be involved in the show. But I, as always, I really appreciate everyone listening, and we will see you next time on Flippin' Bats. It's a high fly ball, deep center field. It is gone. Home run. And a huge backflip to celebrate.